Now, if you have still that yellow copy, you know, the basic Christian beliefs, you'll see where we're at. But as you can tell, what I've decided to do is go more in depth with each point. And so that's why I'm making a separate form for each one. But it'll keep, keep you on track if you go back to that one form and see the nine basic Christian beliefs where salvation fits in. We already talked about the doctrine of the Trinity and creation by God. And then we talked about the Bible being the inspired Word of God without error and our ultimate authority in faith and practice. Now we need to talk about salvation. Salvation. When you know what it is, when you know what salvation means, a sweeter word you will not find. When you've experienced the salvation of Christ in your life, and you truly know what it was like to be lost, and then you experience the salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ, you will find that that word salvation is different than other words because there's a beauty to it. There's a sweetness to it. And only those who experience that salvation can really understand. And so the doctrine of salvation, let's open with a word of prayer. Father, in Jesus' precious name, we just thank you, Lord, that you could care for us. A people who have turned their backs on you we told you that we didn't want your garden. We didn't want your paradise. We didn't want to do things your way. Instead, we stabbed you in the back, spit in your face. We said we wanted nothing to do with your paradise. We thank you that you loved us even though we were your enemies. We had rebelled against you. You loved us so much that you sent your only son to take our punishment for us and die on the cross for our sins. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never asked Jesus to be their Savior, that they would listen very closely to this message, that they would understand that the words I speak today is not my own opinion, but they are words of truth. They are the God's truths about salvation. This isn't a you know, pick your favorite religion. There is only one way for man to be saved. And we're going to be talking about that today. So I pray that each and every person here that hasn't asked Jesus to be their Savior, that they would consider Jesus Christ and trust in Him for salvation today. And for those of us who are saved, I pray, Lord, that You would just show us today where we were. You would remind us where we were before we met Jesus and how far He's taken us and that we should never, ever, ever forget what He did for us by dying on the cross for our sins. So I pray we would never, ever take our salvation for granted. Lord, for those who are with physical ailments like my daughter Melissa and my wife Kathy with her back and Pam with her back, I pray, Lord, that You would minister to them that you would touch them with your healing hand, and if it be your will, that you would restore them to health. But whatever the case, Lord, that you give them the courage and give us the courage to go whatever trials that you may put before us, knowing that these trials, the fiery trials that we go through, will mold us more and more to be into the image of your Son, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you open up to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. Now we're going to be starting an evangelism team real soon here. And uh, part of being members on that evangelism team, you're going to have to memorize certain verses. And some of those verses, they, they refer to them as the Romans Road to Salvation. The book of Romans is Paul's systematic defense or it's a systematic presentation of the gospel message. And so if, you, if you're not really sure about what the gospel is and how a man is saved, read the book of Romans. If you're not sure about the person of Christ, the gospel of John would probably be the best for you there. But the book of Romans, over and over again, talks about the message of salvation. Paul lays it out in systematic form. Point number one. Now, there's a church in this area that I've heard of where a former member from that church told me that they have said from the pulpit that you are not to tell non-believers that they're sinners. Because then you would, you know, hurt their self-esteem. And so you're supposed to call them pre-Christians. Uh, that's not what Paul said. That's not what Paul says. Not what the Bible. By the way, the biggest blow to my self-esteem. A lot of, a lot of people out there saying too that the reason for all the crime that's out there is low self-esteem. Hey, when a guy steals your TV set, it's not because he doesn't love himself enough. It's because he loves himself too much. The essence of sin is selfishness, is pride, is a puffed-up view of yourself. Now, let me say something. I am thrilled about who I am in Jesus. But I get pretty ticked off about who I was in myself. And sometimes I act like that old guy. Okay? So if you want, if you want esteem, Paul says, uh, but he who boasts, let him boast in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 10:17. Boast about who you are in Jesus and through His power. Boast in what Jesus is doing through you, not what you're doing in yourself. But Paul came right out and said, all are sinners. Now, by the way, when you tell a non-believer he's a sinner, you better get the point across to him, too, that you're a sinner, too. Okay? Now, God ought to be working on a sin in your life if you're a true believer, and you ought to become, start looking more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. But the fact is, you are not perfect. When that day comes and you're perfected, uh, you'll know it when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Point number one all are sinners. I have never seen a guy in baseball. Hit a ball over an outfielder's head and then run right to second base. You've got to go to first base first. If you... Let me say, if a church... I don't care how much you're talking about Jesus and how much you say you worship Jesus. Those are great things. But if you're not telling people that they're sinners and that they need to be saved, you're not preaching the gospel. Before you can get to second base and then third base and then home, you've got to get to first. First base with the gospel message is all our sinners. Phil Fernandez needed to be humiliated at age 21 and need to be told that he was a sinner, he was a failure, and he had done a great job earning himself the flames of hell throughout his life. I needed to hear that. I was a prideful guy. But I'll tell you something, when I heard that, 
when people told me that, deep down inside, though I wanted to deny it verbally, deep down inside, I knew their words. It was like looking at my face in a mirror. I could pretend I was perfect. I could pretend I was a tough guy and had it all together. But deep down inside, I knew who I was. Deep down inside, I knew I was a failure. All our sinners. Romans 3.10. Paul says, as it is written, he's quoting from the Old Testament. So this isn't some new teaching. The same message of the New Testament is in the Old Testament, though it's more clear in the Old Testament. The Old Testament points to Jesus. The New Testament comes right out and talks about Him. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. Go down to verse 23. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. Not one of us fully glorifies God to the extent that God has called us called us to. Now the day is going to come. The Bible teaches Romans 8, 28, 29, even verse 30. The day is going to come when God is, is fully going to conform believers to the image of God's Son. And there the image of God will be returned to man and man will fully glorify God. But right now we all fall short. The word for sin there, by the way, is hamartia in the Greek. Hamartia. Now there's different words for sin. I think parabasis. Parabasis is a word that means willful transgression. It's like, it's like when your mother or father said, uh, you can't go past this line. They draw a line in the sand. And the kid looks at that. Looks at that line and looks at you, and then willfully steps across that line. Willful disobedience. That's sin. But even hamartia is sin. Hamartia means missing the mark. Hamartia means you're aiming at the bullseye with the arrow, and you miss the ten ring, and you land in the nine ring. Most people would say you did a great job. God would say you fell short. Isaiah says our righteous deeds... Even the deeds that we do that our neighbors say, wow, that was a righteous deed. Our righteous deeds are filthy rags before the Lord. We need to be given pure white robes that only come from Him. All our sinners. Now look at what we earn because of our sin. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, salvation is a free gift. You can't earn that. But there is something that you've earned. There's something that I have done a great job at doing, that I've succeeded at doing, and you've succeeded at doing it too. And that's called earning the flames of hell. We did a great job on our own. That's why false religions really amaze me because it's like they get so elaborate in coming up with their system of doctrines and their, their views and their, their real intricate belief systems when you don't have to try that hard to get to hell. I mean, it just comes natural to us. The guy that pumps gas down the street that doesn't even talk about religion. He's, he's earned hell without much effort. But now we've got a lot of people in world religions that reject Christianity, that try so hard to think of things in spiritual matters and all. They're trying so hard to do what everybody does just naturally. We all earn hell. But the Bible teaches, though we deserve the flames of hell... God loves us so much. And so we can stand here and talk about the sweet, sweet word, salvation today.
But point number one, all I said, see, the Bible says there's some good news and some bad news, but you've got to accept the bad news before you can accept the good news. I mean, if you're not lost, you don't need a Savior. If you got it all together, you don't need Jesus. That's why this New Age movement going around telling everybody you are God. You are already saved. That's just the thing that uh, sinful men and sinful women want to hear. But that's not the gospel message. The gospel message, we are sinners. And because we are sinners, point number two, we cannot save ourselves. Look at Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19, verses 25 and 26. And when the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Then who can be saved? You know, Jesus had just told them how hard it was for a rich man to get to heaven. Okay? So then they said, you know, well then who can be saved? Because they figured if a rich guy can't get to heaven, how's a poor guy going to get to heaven? That's the way they were thinking. Verse 26, And looking upon them, Jesus said to them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Now let me say something. If Jesus had stopped right there, they say, well, how can man be saved? He said, with men this is impossible. Then he turns around and walks away. If that was it, I wouldn't be here talking about salvation. We wouldn't be here worshiping Jesus. We wouldn't be here in a church. I mean, a church is a place of hope. But if Jesus said, hey, it's impossible, you can't save yourself, just give up and just walk away, there would be no hope. There would be no hope at all for mankind. But Jesus did not stop there. He said, with man it's impossible to save himself. However, all things are possible with God. Let me tell you something. You alone are a mess. Myself, all alone, I'm a mess. But you with Jesus, allowing Jesus to work through you, allowing Jesus to cleanse you and to mold you. Look, 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 who, look who Paul was. Without Jesus, he was the biggest persecutor the church ever knew. With Jesus, he was the greatest evangelist and the greatest theologian that the world has ever seen. Jesus said, look, it's impossible to save yourself, but with God all things are possible. That's a big hint. The hint there is if you want to get saved, if you want to get to heaven, look to God. Don't look to yourself. I tell you, the Pharisees had a lot more faith than I ever had, but they had faith in their own righteousness to get them to heaven. And that's why there's not going to be too many Pharisees in heaven. But with little faith I had, I put in the Lord Jesus Christ. I realized I was a failure in the most important thing in life. And that is in, in getting salvation. And that most important thing I realized, I had failed and I would never succeed there on my own. And so I turned it over to Christ with little faith I had. It's not the amount of faith that you have, by the way. It's who you place that faith in. And then it's the amount of power in the one that you place that faith in. Jesus is both able to save and willing to save. All our sinners, we cannot save ourselves. Look at Romans 3.20. We're going to spend a decent amount of time in Romans today. Again, Paul's systematic presentation of the gospel. 
Yeah. Paul said also, I believe it was in Galatians, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Uh, Romans 3, verse 20 to 22. Because by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, in God's sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. Paul saying there's no distinction between men. None of us can save ourselves by doing good things and by keeping God's laws. You know what the law is? The law is God's holy standards, God's perfect standards. And when man in his sinfulness tries to keep God's holy standards in his own power, guess what happens? We fall short. We fall short. Uh, so what the law does then, it reveals to us our sinfulness and it reveals to us that we need a Savior. That's why Paul in Galatians says the law was our tutor or our substitute teacher to lead us to Christ. Because it brought us to a point where we realized we cannot save ourselves, we can't uh, keep God's holy commands on our own and our own strength. Therefore, we need to turn, turn things over to Christ and accept the free gift of salvation through Him. Uh, Galatians 2.21, another letter of Paul. I had a guy that used to, when I worked with the sub-base police, real good friend of mine, really liked the guy. R Rory knew him too. Uh, Dan Lang was his name. Really liked the guy, but I talked to the guy once. He was a nice guy, but he wasn't a believer. And I said, well, I talked to him one day. I said, if you die right now, do you think you'd go to heaven? And he thought for a minute and said, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I would. And I said, well, why? And he said, well, because I work hard. I take care of my family and my wife and my daughter and... I treat him real good, and I provide three meals a day for him, and, and I'm better than this other guy. I know this guy lives a couple blocks away from me. He's unfaithful to his wife, and I know this other guy, another one of my neighbors, uh, he, he never holds down a job, doesn't take care of his family, this and that. And, and so basically he was saying, I'm, I know I'm going to heaven because I'm better than the next guy, you know? And uh, that'd be like Charles Manson standing next to Adolf Hitler and saying, yeah, I know I'm going to heaven because I didn't kill as many people as he did. The guy next to me. We always we like to do that. We like to say the people who are going into heaven are the ones who are as good as me or better, and then the people that aren't as good as me and everybody else they're they're going to hell. But God draws his lines at a different place. God's line is, is drawn right there. It's called perfection, and all of us fall short. But anyway, but I brought this up to Dan Lang. He said, you know. He's going to go to heaven because he's better than the next guy. And I said, well, the, the Apostle Paul disagreed with you. And I gave him this verse. Now, Lang had a lot of respect for the Bible. And that's why I used a, a verse from the Bible to try to convince him. He had a tremendous respect for the Bible, although he was not a believer. And I said, I said well, that sounds nice, and I respect your right to hold that view. But the Apostle Paul disagrees with you. The Apostle Paul said, said and I didn't give him the verse where it was. I just quoted it to him. But Paul said, I do not nullify the grace of God. Grace comes from the Greek word charis, 
we get our word charity from it. Charity is what you, you give somebody something that they don't deserve. Something they haven't earned. Okay? It's God's unmerited favor. I do not nullify the grace or the charity of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. What he's saying is, if you could save yourself by good works, if you could save yourself by works of the law, then Jesus Christ was a fool because he didn't need to die on the cross for your sins. And of course, Paul didn't have the guts to call Jesus a fool because he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and he got knocked off his horse and he found out that Jesus was a lot bigger than him. That Jesus was the Almighty God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the God of Israel that Paul himself was trying to serve with everything he had and he found he was opposing the God that he thought he was serving. But Paul says... If you could save yourself by your works, then Jesus was a fool because he claimed the reason why he was on that cross was there's no other way for Phil Fernandez, an idiot from New Jersey named Fernandez, there's no way, no other way for this guy to get into heaven. And there's no other way for Eric Anderson to get into heaven or Gary Tronson other than God, the second person of the Trinity, becoming a man and dying a horrible death on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And so it's real clear, all are sinners and we cannot save ourselves. Now, John 14, 6, John 14 and verse 6, tells us point number three. Now, all are sinners, we can't save ourselves. What's the way for us to be saved? Remember, in Matthew 19, Jesus said it's impossible for man to be saved, but all things are possible for God. Therefore, we should look to God for the way of salvation. Well, has God revealed that? The answer is yes. God revealed His way of salvation. John 14 and verse 6. You know, Socrates is quoted as, as saying, the unexamined life is not worth living. That's really profound. That's really, it's true and it's profound and it's really interesting. And uh, Rene Descartes, another philosopher, said, I think, therefore I am. And it's like, whoa, that's really, that's really deep, man. You know, that's really a French philosopher coming up with something like that. That's just, that's outstanding. But you could take all the biggest quotes, all these fancy cliches. You know, even Ben Franklin came up with a few. I think he said, what, a, a, a penny... What do you say? A penny earned is a penny saved, or a penny saved is a penny earned, something like that. But all these profound things that are just like, oh, sometimes you just, if you're into heavy thought and stuff, you just get goose pimples when you hear somebody say something so short and so sweet. And it, it sounds so profound. It's like, whoa, that's what I was trying to say, but it took me a 50 page paper to say that. He said it in one sentence. And it, and it just, you know. But when you look at all these quotes, it's Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and then all of a sudden you come up. With a carpenter from Nazareth. And he says, he says this. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Whoa, that's, uh, it sounds real profound, but I mean, it's kind of bold. I mean, it's kind of saying, you're it. 
I mean, it's kind of saying, like saying, if you are looking for truth and you're a Greek philosopher and you're searching for truth and all of you, if you found me, you found it. I am truth. If you're looking for life, not just mere survival, if you're looking for real life, if you found me, I'm it. That's way more profound than anything any man ever said and so bold of a state. It amazes me that Jesus presented Himself somehow. Most people would admit that He was probably the humblest man who ever lived. At the same time, you read what He said and He made the boldest claims that any man ever made. And the only way you could put those two together and reconcile them is if this man is who He claimed to be. God Himself. But Jesus Christ... You know, that's like they said that if all... One guy said that if Socrates came into the room right now, we would all stand. Meaning we would all stand out of respect for him. Very bright mind, this Socrates guy. Probably probably went to hell. I didn't see any evidence that he ever accepted the, the true God of the Bible. But a very bright guy and out of respect. If Socrates walked in the room, we would probably all stand. But this guy said, but if Jesus of Nazareth walked in the room, we would all kneel. We would all kneel. Jesus Christ is the only way for man to be saved. We don't have time to turn there, but Acts 4.12, the apostle said, Hey, there's no other name under heaven by which man could be saved. And of course, they were talking about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. All are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. Jesus is the only way for us to be saved. And point... Number four, He provided our salvation by dying on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment for us. The only answer why to the question, some people try to make it sound like Jesus got His money worth on the cross. You were worth Jesus dying for nothing. Let me say, Jesus did not get His money worth on the cross when He died, for, when He got us. Believe me, an infinitely worthy God became a man and took a horrible punishment in our place and all we were were the enemies of God who had rebelled against Him. We did not deserve it. He didn't get His money. What drove Him to the cross was not our worth. What drove Him to the cross was His love. It wasn't that we were lovable. It was that God has the amazing ability to love the unlovable. Now, He can do some pretty good things in us and through us once He saves us. But the fact of the matter is, He did not get His money's worth on the cross of Calvary. John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day He saw Jesus, John the Baptist sees Jesus coming to Him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb in the minds of the Israelites was real clearly spoke of the sacrificial lamb, especially the Passover lamb. He sacrificed the Passover lamb and put the blood on the doorpost. And at that first Passover, the angel of death, when he would slay the firstborn Egyptian son, he would pass over every Israelite house for judgment. And so it's called the Passover. Well, if the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood of the lamb, has been applied to you, then when it comes time for judgment, you too 
will be passed over for judgment. That's why in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Paul calls Jesus our Passover. He means our Passover lamb. Look at 1 Peter. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. By his wounds you were healed. You were spiritually healed and saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. First Peter 3.18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. See, he's the just one, we're the unjust. In order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And so it speaks of Jesus Christ dying once for all on the cross for the sins of mankind. Jesus provided our salvation for us by dying on the cross for our sins. And then, of course, He conquered death for us by rising from the dead three days later. And so we've seen that all are sinners. We can't save ourselves. Jesus is the only way for us to be saved. He died on the cross for our sins. He took our punishment for us. By the way, God cannot forgive sin. God is a totally just God. He can't just ignore sin. But he also, even if he's a loving God, he wants to forgive us, but he cannot forgive sin unless it's been paid for in full. For God to remain just, he can't say, uh, well, let's see, that guy uh, committed murder. Bah, let him go free. We'll give him another shot. To be totally just, he must judge and punish all sin. That's why he sent his son, the Lord Jesus. He punished and judged your sins in Jesus on the cross. And he's a God of love. He's going to offer you that free gift of salvation and that forgiveness. But love does not force itself on anyone. It gives, love gives the person, the recipient of that love, the freedom to accept or reject that love. In other words, God is not going to for, force his forgiveness uh, or his salvation on you. You either accept or reject his forgiveness by either accepting or, re, or rejecting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Uh, and so, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. God remains just by punishing the sins of mankind and Jesus on the cross so that if we trusted Him for salvation, uh, that sacrifice on the cross would be applied to us. Now, point number five, we must trust in Jesus alone for salvation. We all know John 3.16, but let's take a look at it. We'll read it with verses 17 and 18. John three sixteen to 18 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. See, the world already judged itself. We were already, we were already condemned. But that the world should be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Jesus didn't come to judge us. He didn't come to condemn us. We could do that all on our own, and we did. I mean, if Jesus wanted to condemn us, he just wouldn't have come to earth at all. He would have just stayed in heaven 
and we would have all went down a one-way street to the flames of hell. But he came to save. Now, sometimes the church, every once in a while, you got some people in the church that don't want to tell people they're sinners. That's wrong. The other extreme, though, is we want to go around telling everybody they're sinners. We want to tell everybody what they're doing wrong. And then we go around telling everybody, yeah, I preach the gospel. I slam those homosexuals for being homosexual. I slam the alcoholic for getting drunk all the time. I slam the guy that gets in fights for being violent. I slam this guy for that. It's like somebody needs to tell that guy, that, okay, wait a second now. It's great to call sin, sin, and to remind people that they're sinners and that they need a Savior. But everything you're telling me there is not good news. The gospel means good news. And so we need to talk about those first two points, but then we need to bring the other points in as well. We need, you haven't preached the good news unless you've told somebody that if they trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, He will save them. And so they do need to hear the bad news. That's the easiest place for me to witness. Remember that, Sean? We used to go to Bremerton Jail. Every Sunday we used to go to Bremerton Jail, talk to guys about the Lord. They, you didn't have to spend too much time on point number one. You're a sinner. You don't deserve to be saved. Those guys knew it. Every once in a while, but once a year you'd get a Christian scientist in there that doesn't admit the existence of those solid bars around them because he denies the existence of the physical world. But for the most part, these guys, you know, you don't have to tell them. You know, it's like, all right, hey, no, I, I got that point down, down pat. Move on. I know I'm a sinner. Okay? And, uh, but people need to understand, yes, that they're sinners, they're fallen, but then they need to know that there is a Savior. There is a blessed hope for our Savior, our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, will return. They need to know how bad things are, but they need to know that they don't have to stay in that despair. Hey, Phil Fernandez needed to know he was a mess. But he also needed to know that he had a God who wanted to take that mess and mold him into something beautiful. The Bible talks about believers in Ephesians 2.10. It calls believers His workmanship. It means, we, we get our word poem from the Greek word there. It means God's work of art. God wants to take messed up, broken people and make them into beautiful works of art and mold them into the image of His Son. And so we need to tell people about salvation in Jesus. We must trust in Jesus alone for salvation. The Greek word for believe is pisteo. Uh, noun form, it's pistos. And it means to trust in, to rely on. Uh, in certain contexts, it could be used just for intellectual assent or, or just head knowledge. But the way Paul uses it in reference for salvation, it means to trust in, to rely upon. It means uh, to, to believe in me as a, as a preacher. It means more than just believing that I preach. But it means in having faith in me that I'm really going to try to present to you the, the Bible as it really is and not try to twist the Scriptures. We need to believe more than that Jesus is God and that He is Savior. We also need to believe in Him. We need more than the head knowledge kind of faith. We need that heart commitment, that trusting in Jesus. 
that relying upon Him, that entering into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and trusting in Him for salvation. Look at John 11. John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. This is Jesus doing what he typically did. He'd go to a funeral and everybody's mourning and crying for the guy and naturally Jesus would show up and would just just destroy the whole funeral and raise the guy from the dead and then everybody's got to stop crying and just turns the whole thing around. Verses 25-26, Jesus talking to one of Lazarus' sisters. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He wasn't talking about physically dying. Generations of Christians have physically died. But he's talking about spiritual, eternal life that those who trust in Jesus for salvation will never die. Look at Ephesians. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Paul says this to people that are already believers, for by grace, it's God's charity, God's unmerited favor, something we could not earn, it's a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Real clear. It's real clear in that passage that salvation is a free gift that you don't deserve. When you think about receiving salvation, think about it more like a a poor person, a skid row bum begging for a piece of bread that receives a piece of bread from somebody. That's what salvation is like. We don't deserve it at all. Now, by the way, once you eat of the living bread... You're not going to be a skid row bum anymore. Jesus Christ is going to give you purpose in life. He's going to, once you found Jesus, you will find the meaning, the true meaning to life. And believe me, Jesus, God blesses us not to be blessed. He blesses us to be a blessing to others. And so whenever God gives you a gift like salvation, He will then uh, encourage you and guide you into His service. So that, uh, you know, it's often been said salvation is, is just one beggar. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. And that's what it's about, man. Because we didn't earn this salvation. Uh, Romans 3.28 also uh, speaks on this. Romans 3.28 For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Okay? Real clear. Works have nothing to do with you getting saved because there's no work that you can do that's good enough to get you into heaven. To get to heaven, you've got to have perfect righteousness. And guess what? You, ain't, you don't have perfect righteousness. This one sin would eliminate you from heaven. And the fact is, that's, as a non-believer, that's all you do. Everything you do misses the mark. Misses the mark at best and willfully transgresses at worst. Uh, So we must trust in Jesus alone 
for salvation and accept God's free gift of salvation. Recognize it's a gift. It's by God's grace, something we don't deserve. Now, I just want to mention these other two verses. We don't have time to look there, but Luke 10, 16 and 1 John 2, 23. Every once in a while you'll have people say, well, I believe in God, I just don't believe in Jesus. And you, the first time when I, as a believer, the first time I heard that, I got blown away. I, just, I thought, is that possible? Well, no, it's, it's not possible. You're not really trusted in the true God if you reject Jesus. Uh, Luke 10:16 and 1 John 2:23 basically let us know if you reject the Son, then you reject the one who sent him. So you might believe in a God, but it's a God created after your own imagination. You've invented some God in your own image. Uh, but it's not the God of the Bible. It's a false God. The only way you can accept the true God of the Bible, the God of Israel, is to accept His Son. You know, be, to reject Jesus and then to say that you believe in God would be like... It'd be like uh, some guy owns his own little store and he's got a worker that works for him that's not a relative and then one day the boss can't come into work so he sends his son with a message to the boss of that little store. So the son goes with a message to the other worker and the other worker just beats the tar at him. Then the son goes back to the, the boss, his father and the Father, the boss, sees his sons all beat up. Now, if he goes back to that worker and that worker says, Look, I've always been loyal to you. You know, I'm, I'm obedient to you. I, I res respect your authority. I trust in you. I follow your leadership. I just don't like your son. And the message he gave me, I could care less about the message he gave me. I hated your son. That's what people, that's what a Buddhist is saying. A Buddhist is saying, Oh, I like God. I just... Don't like his son. Well, you reject the son and you reject the father who sent him. The Bible's real clear. I listed two verses there, but the list could go on and on. Now, let me say this. Paul says you're saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And it's got nothing to do with works. So then a lot of people will say, well, then what you're saying, and by the way, they said this over and over again to Paul. Paul would always say, people are accusing him of saying this. A lot of people would say, so what you're saying then is it doesn't matter what we do. Just believe in Jesus and then go live a sinful life and this and that and do your own thing. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches real clearly that genuine saving faith produces good works. In other words... Jesus Christ loves you enough to save you just where you're at. Right where you're at. But He loves you too much to leave you there. You can't tell me that you have met Jesus of Nazareth if I don't see changes in your life. That's the, base, that's the way James talked in the book of James. We were talking about that last Friday night. James, James knew what righteousness was because he grew up with righteousness. Righteousness was his big brother. James, no matter how good James could be, his parents would always tell him, why can't you be more like your big brother Jesus? Because his big brother Jesus was perfect. His big brother Jesus was God. And James says throughout that book, faith without works is dead. 
If you really met my brother Jesus, he's going to change your life. He's going to clean you up. You can't, you can't tell me you met Jesus and he didn't make a difference. You might talk a good talk and say, Lord, Lord. But Jesus said real clearly, Matthew seven twenty one. Many will come to me saying, Lord, look. In fact, uh, it's supposed to be one of my memorization verses. I better look it up. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Now, Jesus isn't teaching salvation by works, but he's teaching that salvation works. Okay? It's like James said, I mean, uh, Martin Luther, we're saved by faith alone, but not the faith that is alone. It's the faith that produces good works in your life. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If you're saved, you're in Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. You're not the same person you used to be. You're a new creation. In Romans 6, verses 17 and 18, we don't have time to turn there. Paul says, hey, look, once you accept Christ, you're no longer slaves to sin. Now you're slaves to righteousness. A change. A changed life. A new master. In John chapter 8, verses 34 and 36, there, Jesus basically says, Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Jesus Christ is not just in the business of removing the penalty of sin from us, period. That's it. It's all He came to do, right? Just take away the penalty for your sin. That's not the Jesus that I worship. The Jesus of the Bible not only takes away the penalty of sin when He saves you, but He takes away the power of sin. The big problem that we have is not that sin is so powerful. I hate that when I counsel people. It's like, oh, the temptation is so strong. It's so powerful. It's like, what book are you reading? Jesus Christ, we might think it is. That's the big lie of Satan. It, oh, it's so powerful. It's going to drag us down. It's going to do this. The Bible teaches if you're saved, you're no longer a slave to sin. Now you're a slave to righteousness. You may not feel like it, but the fact is you have the power to say no to sin. Our problem is not the power of sin. Our problem is the fact that Phil Fernandez and everybody else, until we get totally glorified and see Jesus face to face, our problem is...